You look at what's happened this year, who's been leading? Industrials. I mean, industrials, you know, they, they're they the top sector so far That's this right. year. We haven't seen industrials lead for a quarter uh, for, for, for quite a while now. So the fact that industrials are doing well makes me think, hey, maybe the market's kind of saying there's going to be some positive on this China trade issues, and maybe CapEx is going to be a little better than people think. I think that's the key thing to note here. Yes, we're downgrading GDP a little bit, but there's still a lot of positives out there. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello, Ryan. Hey, John. How's it going today? Great, thank you. Today is Friday, February 15th, around high noon. We want to make sure we get this podcast in before the long weekend, so That's when right. our listeners are listening to it, several things might have happened over the course of the weekend, so we want to make sure everyone's prepared for that, but obviously a lot to discuss. Uh, what would you like to bring up today, Ryan? Well, first things first, John, I've been a little under the weather, as you know, but I'm I'm bouncing back, and I'm glad to be back. I'll tell you, the flu, it, it really spread through South Carolina. I got the Dietrich household pretty hard, but the worst part is now I have an ear infection. My right ear is clogged. So I can hear you talking, and we'll keep doing this podcast, but it's been interesting. So, John, this is a big weekend for Charlotte, though. Absolutely. The All-Star Game Charlotte is coming to Star. Charlotte. Now, I believe, aren't you in the three-point contest on Saturday night, or did I get that? Is it a different, not, different I guy? I have to back out. I'm in the dunk contest. I'm the dunk contest. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm five that, foot four, seven, that four-foot rim, they rolling that out for you? I, I'm five foot seven, but I play like I'm five nine. So. <laughs> there we go. But, yeah, actually, uh, the Charlotte Hornets general manager, uh, reporting directly to Michael Jordan, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of him, maybe not so famous as Mitch Kupchak, who is their general manager, who had been the GM for the Lakers for so long. And he was a Carolina basketball player. He played for Dean Smith. And probably 45 years ago, yeah, 45 years ago, I was a chubby 10-year-old kid <laughs> at a basketball camp on Long Island. And my coach was no, no less than Mitch Kupchak. And he told me to be a Tar Heel fan way back when. So, Wow. But then I decided to go into economics at like age 12. So uh, can't can't participate this weekend. But it should be fun, and hopefully uh, it'll be a great weekend for Charlotte, that's for sure. Yeah, I think I heard they said this is like the largest sporting event to ever come through Charlotte, right, with all the anticipated people that come through. And it's um, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to yeah, be a lot of fun. And security's tight. You know, some mm-hmm. of our analysts who uh, live uptown are actually working from home today because mm-hmm. they don't want to lose their parking spots. They're concerned exactly. about getting, getting back into town. So it's uh, an amazing exposure for the city. Charlotte, North Carolina is about seven or eight miles north of Fort Mill. Fort Mill's really on, South Carolina's really on the border of, of North Carolina. So it's close enough yet far enough that a 10-minute drive can be an right. hour drive. So Oh, it, it sure can be. So, John, you know, turning gears for a second, we have a new year that just took place. This is actually right. the Chinese New Year kicked off, I believe it was on February 5th, mm-hmm. and it is Year of the Pig. Now, this is a playful thing we're going to talk about here, but in no way do we suggest investing on the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Nonetheless, right. John, you go back to 1928, Year of the Pig. Those 11 months, um, or the 12 months, I'm sorry, after the start of the Year of the Pig, S&P actually is up just over 14% which is the best out of the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Of the 12. Now, you know, small sample size, had a really big gain in the 1930s. So believe me, it's skewed. And we're, you know, like the Super Bowl indicator we discussed last time, you know, when the, when the AFC wins, stocks sometimes can do worse. Nonetheless, this is playful. But, hey, it's Year of the Pig. Um, and the pig actually in Chinese, uh, in Chinese literature means wealth, which is kind of interesting. And it's actually the last of the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And then we restart. And honest to goodness, I'm not sure who we start with next year, but it's the last one. Historically, it'd be good to for stocks. That's so a good point. That. So, but yeah, so it's a good one for stocks. So maybe that can continue, which brings us to 
so the markets now. So the year of the pig could hopefully mm-hmm. offset the AFC champion uh, <laughs> Super Bowl champions, right? Because that if exactly a, a time or two ago we we discussed that uh, AFC as a Super Bowl champ wasn't necessarily fond for the market. So we have a couple things offsetting, right? We have year yeah, of the so pig. Yeah, so podcast is done. See you next and week. And we have right? the third yeah. year of the presidential cycle, so uh, which is up about sixteen percent. So we'll meld yeah. those two and you know yeah. hope for fifteen percent this year, which would be a real which, nice. Hey. situation considering all that went on late December. And today, why don't we focus on a couple of things? A lot of things happened this morning, right? With the government, president speaking, literally as we're speaking on this call, uh, I think we can talk about border funding situation, emergency powers. Uh, but the fact that we avoided a government shutdown, I yes. think will go a long way in improving sentiment. Had to make some adjustments to our economic forecast. Just a few tweaks here. want to make sure we cover that. And then certainly this this market rally, uh, what is it, eight consecutive weeks now for the Dow, assuming we close positively today? It sure is, John. The Dow, small caps, and NASDAQ are all going to likely be up eight weeks in a row, assuming we don't have a large sell-off on Friday afternoon before after we record this. So it's uh, really strong. S&P's up about seven. This is the way I, I think about it. S&P's up 17% approximately from the lows, the, the Christmas Eve lows. Yet, S&P's virtually right at the 200-day moving average. So there's something for everybody here. Dancing around, Exactly. Right. you got a market that's up a ton, 17% in about you know, eight, nine weeks. So we're overbought. Yet, we're just at the 200-day. So maybe the market isn't as overbought as you might think. So again, markets have something for everyone, and I think that's a great way to put it. And that's interesting that... Uh you know, we're still dancing around that 200-day moving average because, you know, as we spoke a, a couple of podcasts ago, we warned our listeners and we've been warning our investors that the market has a hit, has a long history of retesting lows. You know, hope is not a strategy, as I've discussed many times, but if you look at the unique situation, you never want to say it's different this time, but you look at the unique situation of uh, the worst hedge fund outflows and redemptions and liquidations of the cycle occurred in December. Mm-hmm. Leverage trades, right. right? That magnified a lot of the selling. And then to the degree that the misunderstanding, the miscommunication, however you want to view it from monetary policymakers, how that altered. Maybe we don't need to test 2350 on the S&P 500 again. You know, the 2600, 2620 range clearly was support for so long. We broke through that. Then that became resistance. We busted through that. And now hovering in this 2700 to 2750 range, uh, I guess the 20, the 200 day is call it 2747, perhaps, something yeah, like that, 2043. So right. in that, in call it. You know, let's be vaguely correct rather than precisely wrong. Let's let's call it 2740 to 2750 on the 200-day moving average to the degree. You know, we've made so much of that up. You know, the the recent gain was the easy part. Now we have to make sure the fundamentals that we spoke about so much on p- previous podcasts as well as on our 2019 market outlook, the economy has to deliver on those, right? So that'll be very important. Corporations have to deliver on profits and to the degree the Fed's not as aggressive as many had feared most of last year, that also will be a tailwind for, for the markets. No, you're right, John. So that's the old, you know, will it be a W bottom to retest or a V bottom? And as we said, some of that, some of, there's two things I want to mention here that suggest maybe we will have a V bottom. First off, on December 26th of last year and then January 3rd of this year, we had 90% updates. What are those? 90% of stocks went higher, 90% of volume went higher. When you have two of those extremely strong breath days that close together, normally, that can be a sign the lows are in. Also, on January 19th of last month, we had over 71% of all components in the S&P 500 made a new 20-day high. 
What's that mean? Well, that's the most we've seen in eight years. That's a lot of breath. We talked about it, and we've looked into it. Three, six, a year later, three months, six months, 12 months later, really strong outperformance. Those two things, again, suggest, hey, yes, a correction could be well warranted after eight-week win streak. But the, the lows in December were very significant. You know, that could be it, and, you know, we can continue to have uh, some higher prices here. Chug along, but there are several things we need to keep in mind, right. right? So you talk mm-hmm. about a W, a V. We can get into a variety of geometric shapes. Um, could be, for the mi- short term, we could be in kind of a square root as the S&P right. 500 is bouncing around that 200-day. And that wouldn't be all that bad because, you know, to the degree that we're fortifying and basing you know, to the longer we stay in that 27.4 to 27.50 range, for example, that could be a good basing uh, process because when you fall from 2,600 to 2,350, there was no base camp set up, right? So I think that'll be important for future trading patterns. Exactly. Now, also for the future, John, like we said, we have news now that we've avoided the government shutdown. That was obviously one of the big parts of December that got us into trouble, along with some other things, just the concern over the length of the government shutdown. Now we've avoided it. What are your takes here? Is that a, one more uncertainty that's alleviated? Could it be a sell the news type of deal finally? What, what, what should yeah, investors I think, think about that? I don't that? know if it, the way the market's trading this morning, uh, the market's responding it's not very slowing favorably. Down, is it? Yeah, the mm-hmm. market, uh, as yeah. we're speaking now, Friday, right around noontime, uh, Friday the 15th, market's performing very well today. And I, I just think there are a few things, right? So much of it is perspective. And when you talk about government shutdowns, as we've talked about ad nauseum for quite a while now, Feels like it, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, 25% of the government was shut down this time. In 1996, 100%. So there are so many different dynamics that I'm not sure everyone has a full appreciation or a full understanding of that. But nonetheless, to the degree that headline risk can weigh on investor sentiment and therefore market performance, I think by avoiding the government shutdown, that is a major positive for investor sentiment because it's it's one less thing to worry about. The fact that the president and the administration are considering speeches going on now, emergency powers for border funding, to the degree that brings in more lawsuits and more uncertainty and more political bickering, political pandering from both sides. You know, we have very positive sentiment today, but you know, all take us one lawsuit next week to, to cause the market to fall 1%. And I think we have to be mindful of that and make sure our listeners are, and all our investors uh, recognize the fact that simply because the government is going to remain open and simply because that there'll be some degree of border funding, the way that border funding is being achieved is going to result in what will likely be uh, several lawsuits and a protracted process. So that, at, at times, I suspect will weigh on sentiment. No, that absolutely is a good point. We're still you know, a long way from Washington all agreeing, are we not? Um, but that's, that's okay. So, John, you know, one other thing I guess we wanted to touch on here, we've made some changes to our economic forecast due to, you know, the government shutdowns and uncertainty. Maybe actually let me get to this first before we get to that. So a lot of the data that we've been seeing, John, has been, I guess we'll say, iffy at best. The retail sales number that just came in earlier this this week on Thursday was the worst we've seen since 2009. Yet if you look under the surface, there are some things that said that was a, a very abnormal. I mean, MasterCards, this was the best holiday spending in six years. We had Amazon saying how strong online sales were, other companies. I mean, so what should we believe? Is some of this data that comes out of the blue like that, the market ignored it on Thursday. Should we just ignore the retail sales number or any other weak data or just blame the shutdown? What do you think here? Yeah, I think to what degree is it anomalous, right? Mm-hmm. You have to figure out what's the greater body of evidence. You know, retail sales, not the monthly retail sales report, but the holiday sales report year over year was up, what, 
5%. Yeah. And the December retail sales report was weaker than expected. But when you talk about Visa, when you talk about Amazon, when you talk about the new way consumers consume, I'm not going to pieces over one data point. Uh, and I think that's something we need to keep in mind. Clearly, the market didn't. When you think about the government shutdown and then transitioning over to you know the tweaking that we're making our forecasts, policy plays a role in that also, right? Because the uncertainty over trade, U.S. representatives were in uh, Lighthizer and Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, were in trade rep Lighthizer were in Beijing this week and exited without a deal. Progress, but not mm -hmm. a deal yet. Among the reasons why we're tailoring, tweaking some of our economic forecasts, purely because of that uncertainty to trade, not necessarily the consumer on retail sales, because we have a fully employed consumer Wages growing 3.2% on a year-over-year -year basis. That is a full percentage point below the rate at which Federal Reserve policymakers have previously been scared and slam on the brakes. So we're kind of in a sweet spot with employment and wages. And to the degree sentiment can remain relatively elevated, consumer confidence still off the highs of the cycle, but still pretty good when you think about where we've been throughout history and throughout the course, certainly of my career, uh, consumer confidence levels are still pretty encouraging. So the overall body of evidence does not suggest to me and to LPL research that one one data point suggests this thing's not going to survive. Right. So, so what are some of the new forecasts that we... You know, it was more of a rounding situation. For GDP, for example, gross domestic product, total outputs of goods and services for the U.S. economy, when we wrote uh, the draft for our 2019 outlook last October, you know, the number the numbers that we all came up with as a team were GDP in the range of two two and a half to two point seven five percent for twenty nineteen, which would be a drop from three point zero percent annual growth in twenty eighteen. We've decided to pull it in the upper end of the range now. We're calling it two and a half percent GDP. So it's really more of a rounding error than anything else. The reason why we're doing that to the degree government shutdown has resulted in a lack of sufficient data coming in. More important is that the longer trade uncertainty goes, the less likely businesses are to renew uh, capital investment and capital expenditures, right. right? Because we saw a huge surge north of 10% in the first half of 2018, drop like a rock to next to nothing in the second half of 2018. And we've talked about it on this uh, podcast in the in the past, businesses have to invest to extend the cycle. If if you increase capital expenditures, that enhances productivity. If workers are being more efficient, employment can rise, wages can rise, but it's not a threatening wage impact because if output per hour works is better, then therefore you see less of an impact to corporate income statements, less of an impact to margins, and therefore that helps profitability, and it's kind of a virtuous cycle. So we've reduced GDP from a range of 25 to 275 to just 25 So it's nothing too, too drastic. We also want to clarify our core CPI inflation numbers, and to the degree that you know the consumption data really didn't factor into that, but we're just emphasizing core CPI we're looking for, and that is the consumer price index excluding food and energy. And I always hate saying excluding food and energy like who needs those right but they're the most volatile like of, food. The, of the of the they're the most volatile of the pricing patterns right so that's why they uh, economists exclude that right. to just get a better overall pattern of pricing but we're looking at core CPI in the range of two and a quarter to two and a half percent and consequently that plays a role in Federal Reserve we think the Fed now for 18 months we've been saying the Fed won't be as aggressive as people have feared 
and um, in 19 in 19 right. exactly yes. mm-hmm. so when people were going to pieces in 18 we just tried to say you know remain calm uh, we don't think they'll be as aggressive and certainly what we've seen now is it looks like there's a pause at least the first half of the right. year possibility of an additional hike in the second half but even that is remote right John, you know, you mentioned CapEx. I mean, something that caught my eye. You look at what's happened this year. Who's been leading? Industrials. I mean, industrials, you know, they, they're they the top sector so far this year. We haven't seen industrials lead for a quarter uh, for, for for quite a while now. So the fact that industrials are doing well makes me think, hey, maybe the market's kind of saying there's going to be some positive on this China trade issues, and maybe CapEx is going to be a little bit better than people think. And I think that's the key thing to note here. Yes, we're downgrading GDP a little bit. But there's still a lot of positives out there. Like you said, the monetary policy is still there. Fiscal stimulus is definitely still there. There's more fiscal stimulus as a percent of GDP in 2019 than there was last year. So, you know, could um, could we have an upside? You're talking about where could we be wrong? Well, maybe, who knows? Maybe the economy actually, some good things can happen in the second half of the year. We're wrong by lowballing this a little bit. There but, could hey, be, there that, could that, be that might not be the end of the world, right? And I mm-hmm. want to talk about that when we talk about equities in a little bit about okay, good. earnings per share, I think. Uh, you know, people are totally panicking on earnings this year, and I think right. estimates have been uh, cut too too much. But you're right, and to the degree, looking at industrials, not to get too geeky, I know you love talking R-squared and correlations, but to the degree that the industrial sector performing well uh, tends to be very correlated with the, uh, the overall market performing well, right, given their international exposure and their revenue exposure, their dependence on business investment to extend the cycle. Uh, we view that very favorably, the fact that the Fed not only appears to pause on the short end of the curve, but now there's discussion, very serious discussion, which kind of surprised me. I thought they were going to go for a little longer, but balance sheet reduction might be over sooner rather than later, and to the degree you have the Fed balance sheet, not that the Fed's going to be actively supporting the market, but that doesn't push market interest rates up to the degree that we thought. So we could be doomed for a flatter yield curve, yet a flatter yield curve more because of monetary policy than any concern about about recession. And consequently, we believe the 10-year Treasury, when we wrote the draft for the market outlook in October, uh, the 10-year Treasury was at 323. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we wow. said a range of 325 to 375. We're now bringing that in to a tighter range of 3% to three and a quarter by year end for the yield on the benchmark 10-year treasury. All right. Well, John, I think we've got, you know, looks like about three or four more minutes here. So maybe let's wrap it up talking about some equities here. So like we said, the rally continues. This week in our weekly market commentary, we took a look at, you know, some of those things I mentioned where there's a lot of participation, a lot of breath, which suggests the upward trend can continue maybe after a well-deserved consolidation. But also, you know, market sentiment. I traded options for 11 years. I love looking at market sentiment. We know at extremes, like, for instance, uh, what happened on Christmas Eve, obviously there's some extreme fear, record put-to-call ratios. And we talked about this on this very podcast, saying, hey, things are really bad. If you get any good news, we can have a rally. Well, 17% rally is pretty good, right? But you look at market sentiment, in my opinion, it's come off the lows, but we're not seeing extreme over-the-top bullishness. I mean, I can just tell you, you know, we use Twitter, right? When you do a bullish tweet, a lot of people mock you, saying, hey, yeah, but what about last year? You know, and they're right. Uh, but at the same time, just that overriding view, um, you know, Bank of America has a popular poll that looks at f- global fund managers. Highest cash since, bef- 
since the financial crisis and the least global exposure to equities since right before the election. You talk about where's money going to come from to push us higher. Right there, maybe a lot of people panicked and got out and missed this rally, and there really is still some money on the sidelines. We get into some other reasons um, in the weekly market commentary that shows sentiment really is an over-the-top exuberant, which maybe says, hey, this can have uh, potential potential lasting powers. But, John, what do you think about equities here and now? Well, you know, you, you talk more of a a shorter-term impetus for equities, mm-hmm. uh, but be mindful, fund flows, mutual fund flows over the last decade into bond funds have dwarfed what went into equity funds and even ETFs. So to the degree you still have that great, great rotation as money comes out of bond funds into equity funds, you know, it could suggest we have a lot longer to go in this cycle. So we, we, we may be, it's conceivable, and again, we don't want to be dismissive of the many, many headline risks out there, but it's conceivable we're in a situation where we're closer to mid-cycle than, than end of the cycle. Wouldn't that surprise a lot of people? But you're right, you talk about flows. You know, we took a look the last 52 weeks. You want to take a guess, I'm going to put you in a spot here, but how many weekly inflows we've seen into stock equity funds and stock ETFs? Not many. Seven. Only I was right. Seven, here you go, exactly. <laughs> Only seven weeks of last year we've seen inflows. I mean, a couple times earlier this year, usually January, you get some inflows. People put new money to work. That's normal. But it's just amazing the true lack of, you know, I guess, confidence in, in equities and mutual funds and ETFs that we continue to see. Yeah, many have said it's the most unloved bull market in history, and that could very so. well be the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, But yeah. again, as we talk about the fundamentals, again, don't want to be dismissive of any of the risks out there because they're out there. There are many. Uh, but when you think about business investment, rising productivity, a Fed that's going to be uh, less aggressive than feared, more accommodative than expected, mm-hmm. and then we, we just see the way earnings estimates have been slashed over these past six or eight weeks right. for 2019, we still believe that we can see earning, you know, our, our print number is $172.50 for the S&P 500 in 2019. We're not changing that number, but even if it was call it $170. Uh, consensus right now, I think, has slipped to 169 yes. We're not changing our numbers yet, right. uh, and I don't know if we will. I strongly believe that if we see the upside to inflation at 2.5% this year, a trailing 12-month P.E. ratio, price-to-earnings multiple on the market, I'm comfortable at 17 or 17 and a half times. That 170-ish number you know, you 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 can you can finish up the year by three thousand, and when you you know the the math is pretty simple, assuming margins are able to stay, right. given improved productivity. So that's uh, I, I want our listeners to think about that. I want our investors to keep that in mind because there will be darker days ahead. Where we're we're very confident uh, that volatility will persist, but when volatility persists, focus on those fundamentals supporting not only growth in the economy but corporate profits, and we think that'll be uh, terribly important for investors. No, all great points there, John. I think we're at the end of the road here, so I just wanted to thank all the listeners once again. John, I had a lot of fun this week, as always. I got through without coughing. With a little under the weather. I got through this without coughing, so that was good to John. I'm wearing a hazmat suit, so I don't catch whatever you had. There you go. Uh, Well, John, bring us home. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Glad you're feeling better. Best to you and the family and the healing process. And everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, Always appreciate your support. We hope you have a great week, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. 
For additional description and disclosures, please see the full Outlook 2019 publication. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.